Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Creatives Ignite. I am here with a new friend, Barry Kedrowitz. He is in Minneapolis, so he can be friends with Paul. Paul's also in Minneapolis. This is live. You guys can always know you can join us, but we're going to be talking about this book. This is his book. It is packed with fun things to do, but it's also really interesting and in how creative thinkers think. A lot of us um, maybe are solopreneurs and we work alone, so we're always looking for ways to sharpen those creative blades. And he gives us some really good um, games to play. We're going to talk about some of those or things to do, but also how humor makes a huge difference. And I, of course, really like that because I like to laugh. Don't y'all? Do you like to laugh, Barry? Right. But I, yeah. <laughs> so you're in Minneapolis. Um, you're a professor. You're now chair. Or you've been chair for a while. But tell them a little bit about your background. And um, and then I'll ask you, I just where you are, what you do. And then I'll ask you how you got in interested in studying about play and humor and creativity. Sure. Yeah. So um, I'm here in Minneapolis. I founded the product design program in the College of Design at the University of Minnesota. And now I'm the department head of a department that includes graphic design, product design, apparel design, retail merchandising, user experience design, and um, human factors. Um, where? How did I get here? Um, I, I'm actually trained as a mechanical engineer. Wow. And I, yeah, I, all my degrees are in mechanical engineering. Um, I went to, uh, I'm from Florida, so I know somebody else here yep, is Jeremy from Kennedy. Orlando. Yep. <laughs> um, I, I went to school at UCF in Orlando and, um, people were, I wanted to design theme park rides and they were like, you should be a mechanical engineer. And, um, so I went into mechanical engineering and I thought, well, I guess Orlando is a good place for that. So that's where I ended up, uh, and it turns out that that wasn't exactly the type of theme park ride stuff I wanted to be doing. I wanted like the more mm, theming and brand, like creative conceptual mm -hmm. stuff. Um, so, uh, yeah, so I went, I somehow found industrial design. Um, I, I ended up at MIT working on toy design um, and doing Nerf and Super Soaker uh uh concept design for my masters that's cool okay so i we i have friends that teach at ucf but they don't teach in mechanical engineering so i know you probably wouldn't know them but ucf's um uh up and coming right like they they are they have a good design program i know um but they they're not that old of a school right um I think they're one of the largest universities. It is. In, it is. Yeah. But when did it start? Like, was it in the 60s? I mean, it's not like as old as University of Florida. or. No, I, I actually don't. I don't, don't know? know the okay. history. No worries. Sorry. <laughs> it's totally fine. Um. Anyway, so I, uh, I think that that is such an interesting. We've had a couple other people who have had a engineering background or a physics background, or you know, they they have something else, but then they found their way to design. Um, sometimes that's a bumpy road. Um, was it in between? Like, did you try to work, or did you know even in school you were like, this mechanical engineering is not for me? I think I was like good at it, and I appreciated it, but. I wanted to be 
drawing and, you know, making stuff and not analyzing systems and, you know, writing equations to stuff. So it, it was, um, it, it was sometime around like senior year where I was like, Oh, industrial design. Mm. That, that was the degree, but there, at the, I don't think there was an industrial design program in the state of Florida. And so it, I guess it sort of made sense that yeah, no one, no one knew, you know, where to direct me. Yeah. Well, that makes sense. Okay. So then when did you get interested? Was it in your master's program? Was it after about studying play and then humor and how they're connected to creativity? Yeah. So at, when, I, when I was at MIT, um, I I took over a, a, a course that was kind of taught through this thing called this Edgerton, Edgerton Center and grad students could teach classes. And I took over a sports class and I didn't know anything about sports. So I made it toy design because that's what I was doing for my master's working with Hasbro. And this was about uh, 17 years ago. I started this class called toy product design and it's still going now at MIT. They they still have uh, the, the toy design uh, course. Um, and I taught it for six years there. And then I brought it to the University of Minnesota and I taught it for another 10 years here at the University of Minnesota. Um, and that's how I got into designing for play because I was, I basically had to create course content and I was writing papers and working with the toy industry. Um, but it, the humor part didn't come until I, I was an exchange student at TU Delft in the Netherlands. And I went there to, like between master's and PhD to, um, to just learn more about industrial design. And I, I started a research project with surprise, like um, related to surprise in products and like what types of surprises people like and what, what types of surprises people don't like. And we were making, uh, I remember like rubber duckies that like did different, one was like, a, we put a, like a whoopee cushion inside. So it was like a farting rubber ducky. Um, and like, you know, in that process of understanding surprise, there was a lot of research on humor and um, and in the reading about those theories of humor, there was um, a revelation that the um, incongruity theory of humor is, is the same as the associative theory of creativity. They're both about making non-obvious connections between seemingly unrelated things. And that eventually became my uh, PhD thesis on um, humor and creativity and, and also improv comedy. So then how does that play a role in the create in making super soakers better or, you know, like the practical part, because sometimes it feels like there are, all, and this is for me being somebody who really likes those games, but I'm not really sure how, and I play them, I think that they're lots of fun, but I'm not sure if it's just a release, like a stress release, or is it um, helping me to make, pick up on patterns quicker when I'm with a client or make different associations so then I can have a weird connection that it's a, and then my ad campaign series will be more memorable. And so people, do you know what I mean? Like how did, how, I've always feel like 
if my dad was watching me teach a class and we're playing these games, he would be like, why are you wasting these kids money with this um, game or this thing? And I haven't ever really been able to um, put a finger on it, but your book does go into some of those things. So can you tell us a little bit about that or how we practically can use these games in our work? Go ahead. Uh, yeah, sure. I mean, so, um, I guess it, it, it sort of was me my game. Like, so in the book, I talk about different, um, like actual board games, right. But also like, word games, like there's right. association with two words. There's anyway, there's lots of, I call them games. Maybe they're right. Not. Yeah. No, those are games. And then there's a lot of creativity tests that resemble games actually, categories as a as a board game has been used as a creativity test because it has so much in common with standard tests of creativity it almost tests all of the elements of the torrens test if you're playing uh categories it tests uh novelty of ideas fluency of ideas quantity of ideas flexibility of ideas and elaboration so so a lot of things that we think of as like just a game are building creative skills. Um, I, you know, and we could go through a, a bunch of, of different like Pictionary or, or Scrabble. Right. And I, I'm going to step back just a little bit, but that's how we learn. Like, that's not just how humans learn. That's how animals learn best. We learn through play dogs, seagulls, spiders, dolphins, they learn skills for that they need for adulthood, physical skills, emotional skills, cognitive skills through playing. And, and the weird thing here is that as we get humans, as we get older, we say, no, no, no. When you go to school, you're going to learn this way. You're going to, we're not going to play games We're you're going to copy notes and you're going to listen to me lecture and you're going to take tests. Right. But that's the weird thing. That's, that's not how we learn best. We learn best through play and through games. Um, and I mean, there's a whole bunch of reasons why that, I mean, like engagement and flow and, you know, you're doing things because you want to do it, not because of external rewards. And I talk about all this in the book, but when we go into academia, it's like, it's all X, it's grades, right? Don't mess up because you're going to get a bad grade. And um, it sucks the play. It makes things not play anymore. That That's how you make something work, um, right. which makes it not a great means of learning something. So uh, I think we, you know, just the the nature of the book is like we need to go back to embracing play and also humor because that's how we learn best. E everything. Absolutely. Okay. So one of the things you and I talked about the other day, I always think it's fun because sometimes I can make it through a book, but I'm a really slow reader. But I do appreciate appreciate the book. The book is really fun, and if you notice the parts that I've read, there's all these highlights. I mean, I'm. I'm like, oh, this is neat. This let's do this. Let's try this. And I mean, all these things up and, and I've added, I mean, there are spaces for you to write in as well. Some of the things are their space and you're supposed to fill it out and do that. And I do write in my book. So 
But you have, there's imagination. You talk about imagination and you and I talked about this the other day. And I'm going to read my question. Imagination and cultivating imagination is important in future inventions and um, and just progress. And we think about this like when we were kids, if we said we'll have these devices, there was a show. I can't remember what it was called, but he traveled in the future and he had these thinking it, it was like a jitterbug, really, you know, and had really big like um glowing buttons and the guy would go and he would change a little bit of the past. And do you know what? I don't remember what TV show it was, but, um, but it was like a device and he would send this man back and forth in time. Uh, Sliders. No, not sliders. Um, uh, Quantum leap. Yeah. Quantum leap (laughs) is what I'm thinking, but I never, and granted we can't go to, we can't transport yet, but (laughs) I think this is what really caught me when we talked before. You said, if we don't imagine, if we don't dream like that, then we would never, we will never transport because, but we have to have some of that science fiction and some of that imagination because who would think that this would allow me to talk to my friend Pippa this morning in London or that I could see you on my phone if I wanted to. And I just think it is, it really brought to home how important it is for us to, uh, I think kids do this really well. They are like their imagination. They don't have limits, but then this is one of the things that they do kind of drive out of us in school. And then some of us just don't do well. So then we go into art or creative field, but what, how important is that in making some of these, huge progress leaps in the just someone imagining and in quantum leap do you remember that thing that that guy would hold i mean it was kind of jitterbuggy like you know they had big buttons he was a hologram i mean i think that's even holograms even something that back in the time they're like how do you do that and now there are some pretty realistic hologram machines that you that are very real that are on that are probably even better than the portrayal of a hologram in quantum leap right um and i think that's the the interesting thing here is it's all in perspective it's just like how we don't realize we're aging and then we're like oh my gosh i'm old it's the same way with technology you don't realize how advanced things have gotten um until you put it in perspective Mm-hmm. And as you were holding up your phone, you know, like, yes, this all seems normal right now. But even if I showed this to somebody 20 years ago, right, this would blow their mind, right? And or or if we go back even further, I like to go back, you know, the, the light bulb is like 120 years old. It's not or the 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 current incandescent version of them, right? It's not that long ago when we didn't have electricity in our house that was right. not a thing like, even in my house like even my house right now the light bulbs that are on the walls behind them is a gas pipe because they used to be there was a flame that came out of the wall Th- that's how that's how old i'm and then that's in my current house right so 120 years ago we didn't have like you know a light switch that turned on a light that was a that was a the wild wacky idea um and 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 if i went back 120 years and i showed them this this would look like like magic it would look mm-hmm. like 
wizardry or like I was an extraterrestrial, like I would look like an alien showing them this thing, like I was tricking them or like a god, right? And we wouldn't be able to comprehend that. But that's going to be the exact same thing if I took something from 50 years from now and I showed it to us today, you would say, mm-hmm. how are you doing that? Is that must be like movie tricks or something, right? But it's not. It's just <laughs> we 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 gra- we gradually improve our technology and to the and it goes incrementally that we don't realize that it's even with physical abilities. If you look at the first Olympics and the current Olympics, the current Olympians look like superheroes compared to the original. Olymp- They're like jumping like twice as high and like doing crazy backflips, you know, um, like the ski jump, right? If you compare them, it just looks, how are they doing that, right? And that's, you know, that's the same way. I, I, to just go back to your first statement, I think Disney, you know, I'm again, I'm a Disney person, but they say if like you know, if you can dream it, you can do it. Mm-hmm. We have to, we have to think in the future. We have to think, and designers are really good at that. Thinking fifty years from now, when this technology is commonplace, what are the possibilities? So, if we are trying to do this, if we have kind of gotten this out of us, or if we're just so in a job that isn't pushing us. I feel like this is like just a skill, like riding your bike. If you're not riding your bike very much, you're not going to be able to be like, you know what? This summer, I think I'm going to do the Tour de France. You know, like you're not going to do that. You're probably not even going to go on a regular bike race. So how can we stay sharp? Because this is something that I think we get sharp in areas, but then we're dull on other parts. And I think we don't want to be, but we don't notice. And this is where I think some of the humor um, can come in because it is such a you, you talk in the book about divergent thinking and convergent thinking, which I think is really helpful because some people with my students, some people are much more um, uh, image thinkers and some are more word thinkers. And there's all kinds of things um, that improv. I think you learned the power of improv Um, And I've been watching stuff just to kind of get prepared for this. When I've had five minutes, I'll just watch some of Whose Line Is It Anyway, because that's a great show for they have props, but they also do um, uh, words. So what so if somebody isn't a crazy concept or they're not really utilizing their imagination, they're doing some things, they're being creative, but maybe they're not. I think your imagination and thinking more future-wise, what are some things that we could do to sharpen those skills? Um, at a high level, um, you you can learn to be more creative. Um, and so we, I, I do studies in my own creativity course. So one thing you can do is take a class, right? Um, and the, the creativity course I teach is essentially design thinking or design process. And we do before and after studies with standardized creativity tests, but also like real world design challenges. And everyone increases their creative abilities um, after taking a a class like that. Um, And this is um, 
the, the, the group that improves the most are the ones that are least creative on the onset, right? So one thing you do is, is take courses, right? The area that, you know, my PhD went in was improv training um, because improv has such a s- strong overlap with team-based idea generation. It's almost the same thing. Um, if you look at um, what skills are, are um, that they're teaching you in improv workshops, it's listening, de- uh, deferring judgment, building on ideas, coming up with lots of ideas, um, encouraging wild ideas. And it's all like, th- that's, that's just almost the rules of, um, of team-based idea generation. And so it makes sense that they're like improv comedians are really good at, at, at creative thinking, but we wanted to test that. So we did improv warmups or workshops before idea generation and people came up with significantly more ideas than if they did something else, like an activity by themselves or nothing right before, before idea generation. So you know, improv is definitely one um, way to improve your creative abilities. Um, I, in the book, I talk about a lot of other avenues like inspiration. Um, uh, I, I have a, a chapter on drugs. I'm not advocating for it, but there's a lot of research <laughs> on, on that, um, incubation, um, uh, doing new things. One of the, the well, sorry, out two of the, the high, um, correlation correlates, uh, personality uh, correlates with creativity is um, openness to new things and extroversion. Mm. And th- the, you know, where, why that's related to creativity is people who are open to new things are making interesting connections. They're building a database of stuff that mm-hmm. they'll, they might connect in the future. Same with extroverts. It's not like extroverts are more creative all the time. It's that they're talking to the person in the elevator. They're going out to the party and they're building that database of information. Introverts, you can do that too, like on TikTok or scrolling news feeds or reading magazines. It's really just about building that database of data of points that you can then connect in the future. Yeah. So my friend, uh, Chris Martin, he has a podcast called uh, Getting Work to Work, and he's really all about what people are curious about. And um, this is where I think being curious allows you to, the more you know about a wide array of things, as a designer, we can bring those things in and make some interesting connections. History, maybe you really are interested in history. I always think that there's ways to do that. Um, when you said the... Um, I think in the book you talk about eating, like people who are like you, you might be um, adventurous in eating, right? Yeah, uh, like not neophobic. So I don't know what, oh, uh, right. Afraid of new foods. (laughs) Okay, so, so I am a very picky eater. So I was like, well, that's not me. But I think I'm, I do try a lot of things. um, But I think food's just a, a, was a trigger for me. But one thing I thought was interesting was is it uh, improv also and a comedian has to know their audience. They can't tell the same jokes at a uh, retirement community that they would tell at a college 
auditorium uh, with college students. So I think it's also them knowing their audience. And as designers, we really do have to understand who's using the product or the toy or the um, uh, app or the device or whatever. And I think that that's something that is also really important in improv. You ha- those The words they use to the audience so that they would be able to relate. And I thought, I think that that um, was interesting to me um, in another way, unless you have something you want to add on. Okay. So um, you also talked about cartoons and how cartoons, which I thought was really also um, interesting was cartoons are can be predictors of the future. So we're kind of going back to that imagination where anything can happen. Yeah, so, I mean, that, that's it, right. It's but, a cartoon. <laughs> but it also has to relate enough to us as um, into our lives. And the Simpsons, I think, are one that you mentioned in the book. I know that there are lots of others, but um, there has to be something we relate to, but then there has to be something that is, it's normal for them in their life that it happens and it's painting the picture so that it, we still can connect, but it gets us used to that device or that ability or something like that. Can, is there anything else like that you realize in your research or when you were writing about just the power of cartoons to predict the future? The fun thing about animation is that you can do anything you want, like the character can turn into something else, right? I took a, a class many years ago back in grad school on comics. Um, and um, the the instructor at the time was um, talking about how cartoons today, they, they stopped doing that, you know, back a long time ago, like Mickey Mouse, like turned into a puddle, right? And then it like reformed, right? And his nose popped off. And, or even like the coyote, like exploded. And then the, at the time, the cartoons of today were very real world. It was like, you know, Jetsons, uh, Flintstone kind of thing where they followed real world convention, like family Mm -hmm. guy, even it wasn't like they were, they were kind of confined to the real world parameters even though they they weren't actually confined to real world um and so i thought that was an interesting observation and i think cartoons are starting to change a little bit like adventure time is and others are going back to the old days where you embraced that it was animated um but the the here's here's where it connects to innovation and design when you're when you're design when you're animating it's it's the same as being like a future thinker. You can do anything you want, right? And I think the Simpsons writers, it's not necessarily that they're futurists, but they're really, really smart um, humorists that are playing in this sandbox where you can make commentary on the, the status quo. You can make, you have episodes where, uh, that interface with what's going on in the real world, like like the like Family Guy and and South Park do, um, and so sometimes their their um, predictions are inspired by the real world, and they're making these educated guesses that that sometimes end up turning out to be real, right? Like like Trump being president, or the 
the shard skyscraper in London in the exact location that it is right now on the skyline. Um, and th- there's a whole there's a whole series of Simpsons predictions that are now um, that are now real. And um, I, I I think I think what it, what's happening here is like it's this interesting interplay between um, art artists, designers, and scientists. And they're they're sort of, you know, I don't know whether the cartoon inspired reality mm. or reality was inspired by the cartoon, but it happens. Um, it happens often, like Willy Wonka, you know, has all of these candy inventions, and they're all now real, right? There, well, most of them are real. There's bubble gum that changes flavor. There's um, th- balloon uh toffee that you blow up into a balloon there's ice cream that's that stays solid when it's hot mm-hmm. um you know those are almost all of the willy wonka inventions are are real now whether you know chefs pa- pastry chefs food scientists were inspired by willy wonka and actually made them or was roald Dahl a futurist or was he just playing in the he was playing in that adjacent possible, like, okay, wouldn't it be cool if, you know, you could lick the wallpaper, right? You know, that's, that's like, he's like, okay, that's, that's black mirror kind of stuff, right? It's sort of possible, not quite, but maybe in 10 years. Yeah, sure. Why not? We can totally do that. So do you find it hard for yourself or when do you find it hard to, dream bigger or is there a time or are you pretty open to that always? Um, Meaning in, in a, um, so in school, when you're teaching this, sometimes there, if, if we're always solving problems, so whether it's a marketing problem or it's a website, a user experience problem, um, we can come at it from different ways. So I think of, when I was reading this, I'm thinking about, wow, would this really help with creative block? You know, sometimes we have a hard time dreaming bigger because I think that um, my students or my friends or me, I'm in the same rut. I have a hard time thinking outside because I've I've done this so many times. So when somebody asks me, well, can you think differently about this? It's difficult at times especially things that I've done often. Um, So I'm trying to get um, ways that maybe you personally or things that you've seen, because when you tell something, when you tell us, when we're listening, we're like, oh yeah, that could be me. Maybe I need to try this other thing to be, get out of this rut. I didn't even know I was in a rut. Right. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I'm in that way too, right? We always have to be, questioning why we're doing things the way we're doing things and it's it's actually going back to humor this is this is like um observational comedy this is seinfeld or or larry david this is exactly what they do um and it's also what good designers do they question everyday things Mm. why why do we have this you know toothbrush that what this thing that we 
stick in our mouth? Why is there sodium lauryl sulfate? Why is there like detergent in our toothpaste? And why do we do this with, you know, this? And then we like, don't sterilize. We just leave. Why is that okay to leave on our counter all day? And then, then we just put it back in our mouth where if we did that with some, like if I like <laughs> anything else, I put it in my mouth, like even a candy, I put it in my mouth, I would never stick it on the counter and then put it back in my mouth, you know, at the end of the, the day and be like, oh, that was fine. You know, that there's toilets right like or wash have, dryers we talked dryers. about dryers every like i i have the chat i have a whole chapter on toilets and questioning why we're doing that and toilet paper but you know a, a clo- most of your clothing dryers it is like it's if it's gas still it's it's a metal bucket <laughs> with a fire underneath and it's just spinning under a, fi- a fire it's like it's cave person technology I mean, it's pretty, you know, it's like pretty on the outside, but why are we doing that? Right. And there's some humor to all of this, right? Why, like, even like everything, everything here, why do I have six cables coming out of my laptop right now? Um, <laughs> right. But what my shirt, I have like eight buttons going down the thing that I have to do this to, to get my shirt on. We have better technology out there, but we're still doing this for some reason, for tradition, for habits, um, right? Who knows? Um, and we have to question the status quo all the time. That's what good, good designers do that. They say, is there another way? Is there a better way? Why do we, why are we doing it this way? Do you find that if you are doing something, you're, you solve um, or you attack a problem in the same way you get similar results. So are there, there are lots of things in here that made me think, Oh, I should try this. Or some of it was just thinking about it differently. I had never thought about the, the dryer. I do think this is a really big, you know, and it gets the house hot and, but I don't know how to fix that. But I think, I don't even I didn't even really think until you told you mentioned it that I was like, huh, yeah, but this is a lot of space we're wasting, you know, that we could solve this, but we're doing it because it's comfortable and it's like the Dyson guy who, you know, changed how vacuums work, right? He just got sick of it. Um, I guess for me as not an engineer, I think about things that I would like differently, but I don't know that there's even an option. Um, maybe it's a little different. And you and I talked about maybe product design, how that's different. But I also think like advertising is changing because we don't advertise in the same way. So how do we advertise now? You know, and um, I, if you had told me 20 years ago or when I, you know, 50 years ago that you had said, you know, there will be ad campaigns that are running for 15 or 20 years, like the Chick-fil-A eat more chicken or yeah, eat more chicken. <laughs> I was about to say eat more cows. No, they, the cows do not want to be eaten, but it's like, that's one uh, flow with progressive. Um, the mayhem guy has been about seven to 10 years. This just wasn't normal. You know, this wasn't a, I mean, insurance really stepped it up you know, in the last couple of decades. Um, but I guess I just think that's the kind of thinking that we need to be using this 
um, this as a tool um, and teaching us. But I loved the part about humor. There was something in in the book that was, and I'm off my um, thing, so maybe I should get back to this. Um, <laughs> so let me let me ask you this. I I just really enjoyed the humor, and because uh, there's some healing, I think that comes along with humor. You talked about, um, you know, I think. And again, I've been watching things and um, can't remember if I read it or if I heard it somewhere else. But the power of humor to be able to help you step out of um, just uh, you're more comfortable. If you're going to do something that's uncomfortable, you should laugh for a while before that's going to help you because it's um, changing your body chemistry or something. Right. So in like maybe if we're going in and we always are kind of solving this or attacking a problem the same way is something we could do is just do something to make us laugh more or to get that part of our brain flowing, I guess. Yeah. I, I mean, I think so I've, I've, I talk a lot about how humor and creativity are helpful for, like making connections and coming up with ideas. But I think what you're pointing out is that just being like humorous or being in a state of levity or laughing, right, is also good for creativity on its own. Um, and there's some interesting studies on that where they had people watch comedy movies before idea generation and it, it puts you in the the right mindset um i mean there's there's definitely like some um chemical like neurotransmitters going on here right when you're laughing there's dopamine involved dopamine improves your ability to make connections or be open to new connections um and so being in a positive affect a state of positive affect is good for creativity and that's also going back to play when you're playing, you're in a po- a, you know, a positive affect, like a, a happy state of mind. Mm-hmm. And that allows you to be open to new things or try, try new things, explore new things, open to new ideas. Um, and, and laughter is social lubricant. There's yeah, a, that I, was that. Was, I loved that. that. <laughs> you, you, yes, that was um, that was one of the things because you were saying in there, I, I had never heard of that. I'm sure I maybe you made it up, but I thought that was brilliant. I was like, it is social lubricant. It does. It's like, you know, anyway, tell them about that. Yeah. Well, most things we laugh at are not funny. It's like something like, I don't know, the study was like 90% of the things that we laugh at right now. Right. I kind of like giggled a little bit. Right. That's not fun. What I said was not funny. If you transcribe it and you ask people how funny these statements are, they will say, I don't, there's no humor in these statements, right? But what we, what we laugh at is, is it, it's, it's me connecting with you and it's cre- saying, Hey, I'm being friendly here or, Hey, I'm being, I'm nervous right now. Or, um, uh, what I'm about to say is, is interesting pay attention. Um, and we, now I'm like, you know, it's, I'm being meta on myself. Right. But the laughter is not a result of an incongruity. 
or a non-obvious connection or a joke. Mm -hmm. Um, It's there to connect people socially. Mm. So I think that it's funny because, you know, when you're a kid and you're not supposed to be laughing and maybe this happened, it's happened as an adult to me yesterday and you're trying to like hold your face in a non-laughing, but the sound keeps happening and you're like, somebody says something, this sounds like cards being (laughs) dealing and it doesn't matter. The other person could be crying and I am like, oh my gosh, I'm having a hard time. Every time that sound happens, it's this trigger because I'm not supposed to be laughing. And then it's even worse when I am laughing and then other people are like, it's like minus the person who couldn't hear the thing that was happening, right? It's, it is that awkward and it's that we're trying not to be and i think when i think that that's where i connected to the weird words or the triads that you have that are going on um i enjoy those awkward things i think that those are memorable and for me i was taught that the best design is the one that is the memorable one you know But that is where you see community coming together. That's that team building when you're all in the knowledge. So that's also understanding your users or understanding the people. Um, And I think that it really is important to do this with others. I'm an extrovert, so I want to do it with others. So introverts may struggle with this. But there is huge value to just being seen. And I think... Uh, And like you were saying in improv, listening is really key. And for all of us who are designers, we have to listen to our client. We have to listen to what they want and getting on the same team. So a lot of the stuff in the book could be great for team building, could be great for just me sharpening my creativity skills. And I think it's important to do, even if I don't think that there's a A plus B equals C relationship, Maybe you think, well, I don't do a lot of stuff with imagination or dreaming. I am, you know, I'm designing. What am I designing? That's boring. Maybe a flyer. I don't know. Yeah. I always say dentist website. So uh, (laughs) I I was trying to give the dentist a break, but, but, um, (laughs) but there are things that we are just um, accepting, right. Um, As a product designer for things that you've been able to do. And Jesse, who's here, she's a product designer. So it's like, there are, you can actually make a difference, but sometimes people need to have that extra step. Um, let me go back to my questions. How, I guess, um, maybe we've already kind of answered this, but I, I would love to know what you think, how we can best cultivate these bigger dreams. So this is something I struggle with, Barry. I have a hard time dreaming big because I know what my limits are, so it's really, I have to really get into a different place. And it's a, it's, it is hard. I can dream for other people, but I have a real hard time um, breaking out of thinking about um, reality. So when I went to grad school, I was a practical designer before and I was a practical designer after, but during grad school, they're like, do whatever you want. And I'm like, Ooh, I need, how, is this going to be in CMYK? Do I have, op? you know, like, I kind of like the parameters because they help me when you have everything, I get lost in all the abilities or the possibilities. So for me, dreaming big, I would love for you to help me cultivate how I could be able to dream bigger 
or be more take maybe it's a just a self-driven project where i'm seeing things all the different things in my house that i think could be designed better i can't design them because i'm not a engineer but is there anything that could help me um well i think i talk a little bit about this in the book but people don't like radical innovation they like incremental innovation mm -hmm. um i mean the world needs radical change, but what people really want is incremental change. They want things that are familiar, but just a little better or a little different. So it already fits into their schema or, you know, they, they can understand, they can, they, you know, it's, it's like the iPhone, but it's better in this way. Right. Or oh, it's right. like a microphone, but it also does this. That's the kind of stuff that people want or like or accept easily that's mm -hmm. called my maya most advanced yet acceptable okay um and when you when you go past it to things that are too advanced or too radical people don't adopt it um because it's threatening or it's new or involves too much new stuff to learn or it involves throwing out the current way of doing mm -hmm. things and so um, you know, I, I think, yeah, dream big is good, uh, but there's a lot of space for dreaming medium. Um, and that's where we, I, you know, that's also in my classes, that's where I focus on the students, uh, in, in the, the medium dreaming, um, not, not little, but also not, um, we can't test it yet. There's a space for that too. You know, we have courses on, on the dreaming big, but there's a there's a lot of value to shooting shooting here because you're going to be successful and you're still progressing society mm -hmm. forward um through that adjacent possible it, it, it yeah um the other thing that you said that's really interesting is constraints mm -hmm. and um we like constraints and that helps with creativity but you can't have too few and you can't have too many there's a sweet spot for constraints for you to be creative. And in, in some of my research, it's two, <laughs> two constraints. <laughs> and that's where you get, um, you know, it's, it's, it's specific enough for you to come up with good ideas, uh, but it's not limiting enough for you to filter out stuff. And if you think about it, going back to board games, that's category, uh, that's uh, categories, right? That's two constraints. It starts with this letter and it fits into this category. Go, right? Mm -hmm. If you had one constraint, not a fun game. And if you had more than two constraints, you can't do 12 of them in one minute or two right. minutes, right? Right. So it's, uh, there's some something magic with, you know, having a, a double constraint to a problem. So one of the things that I had asked and, um, because a lot of the people here are illustrators, they're designers, animators, um, web designers. I'm trying to think about every book designers, people here, here. Um, I think Jesse's our only product designer um, besides you, I guess. Um, if you're trying to tell somebody who is a professional creative, even a writer, I think a lot of the things in the book work for anybody in a uh, creative field. Um, how is your book best used in regular practice, what would you tell them? 
<laughs> um, okay, so so I, I've read a lot of books on creativity, and um, they tend to fall into two camps, I guess. There's famous person, not academic, writes a book on creativity, and it's how they think of ideas and what they think is important for you to be creative. Their process, their because particular that's how process. I do it, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And maybe it's you know it's written very conversationally, perhaps, right? Um, and then they're on the total opposite end. There are scholars in academia who write very, very detailed books and papers on creativity. And maybe it doesn't have pictures and maybe it's not written to a layman's audience. And maybe it's very analytical describing studies of people. Right. And there's not, there's, there's sort of this gap between the two. And that's where my book comes in, where it is written in a conversational manner. There's like 150 pictures. illustrations yep. that I made <laughs> Um, it's very, it's full of very, um, relatable examples and current examples like Rick and Morty and the Simpsons and Seinfeld and Scattergories and Adventure Time. Right. Um, but if you look at the end of every chapter, there's a long list of citations. Right. In fact, if you only look at those parts, it looks like this is a very scary book, um, but it is highly cited. And I say, you know, this is okay. If you're trying, if you want to do this idea generation method, this is when you use it and why. And here's the studies that support why you do that or why you do this before idea generation. And here's my own published academic study that supports why quantity is so important or whatever. Um, and so I was, I'm hoping to not that either of those other two types of readings are not valuable. They're very valuable and important, but I was trying to be in this intermediate where it's, it's like things that someone can actually do to be more creative and it's backed by, um, right. The, the the rigor and the the experimental studies and 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 supported with the the paper references which I liked um I like the psychology studies or the studies that happen I I like reading those and seeing how and maybe that's just the designer in me that is always thinking about the audience and how this would work and how can this be improved but but I did really enjoy I I did write in my book and one of in the very beginning you give us a um, it's like, how many things can you use uh, an item for? I won't share what the item is, but it's like, you have this one item, how many different uses? And even if it was like, if it was this, right, this highlighter, I would have said, oh, this is a hat, you know, a hat for somebody. It could also be, I don't know. You, I wow. was thinking about um, scale changes. Like this could be like a really big, this is like a parking deck for a, uh, ant or something, you know, like I'm thinking of all the other things, not just, well, you can draw lines or you can highlight in a book and things like that. And I think that seeing things like that is important. And even that small exercise was just 
a good one, but there was a, a graph and I'm going to show this graph. I, um, I think anyway, so here's the graph. I think everybody can see if I'm still talking, it'll be seen. Um, but this was what was so interesting. The stuff that was in the circle. Can you explain? Do you remember what this is? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so the, each one of those dots is a person or a subject in a study and they're plotted on uh, how many ideas they came up with and the, the creativity of those ideas. Um, and so we were, it was, um, I think that was like coming up with people coming up with ideas for toasters and umbrellas and toothbrushes. And, um, and the first purpose of that graph is to show that the more ideas you come up with, the more creative ideas you're going to have. There's a high correlation between quantity of ideas and creativity of ideas. But the circle on there is represented that th those are the people who are coming up with lots and lots of creative ideas. And those people weren't engineers, they weren't designers, they weren't students. Those dots were professional improv comedians that were coming up with more creative product ideas than product designers. And these were quick. These were like how many in a certain amount of time. It wasn't like you have two weeks, see how many ideas. These are quick thinking ideas, which um, although we do have some time, sometimes when we're designing something, it um, is best to get a lot of ideas out, the good and the bad. And it's also maybe the self, um, we um, self edit often. I think that especially in a team, we can self edit and it's best in that. That's just one of the rules in improv that you're not judging. Any answer is okay. Um, nope. That, that to me was pretty interesting. And I think um, so I'm going to read this one because we have three minutes left. You studied the connection of improv and creativity. Um, what was the top three things that you gleaned that you regularly return to in your personal creative practice that you maybe weren't employing, but now you are? Um, well, I think you, you started going there, but yes, and. So mm -hmm. that's this maybe the 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 main rule the, one of the the big rules of improv comedy is yes and um and so it's it's agree with what you just heard and then build on it and it, i mean in a in a theater setting that makes sense right you're on stage somebody's like it's a beautiful day at the beach and they're like we're not at the beach uh like like that's you killed that, that scene it. yeah right <laughs> right and like the your your partner is like um, okay, where do we go from here? Uh, but I mean, that, that maps to the, the two main, two of the main rules of brainstorming, which are defer judgment and then build on ideas. It makes you a good team player. Um, and I think in, we tend to always go to the critical stuff. Why won't that work? Um, what's, what, what could be the issues moving forward? Um, and if some of you like the thinking hats, right, that that's a specific hat like you that you wear, but you should probably go first to the yes and. So the build it like, okay, okay, what if, yes, mm -hmm. you know, and then what and build on it. And it makes that person feel better because they like their idea. You know, somebody likes my idea. I'm going to go with it. Um, uh, 
quantity of ideas and creativity of ideas, the more ideas you have, the more creative ideas you have. The first ideas you think of are the same ideas everyone thinks of. And it's not until you get to like eight, nine, tenth idea is where you start to get to the novel ones that very few people think of. So mm. push it, push yourself past the first stuff that comes to mind. Um, and uh, um, so let's see what, what else. Uh, I mean, li listening is really important to designers and it's also critical to improv. Um, and I am, I am so bad at that, but I'm getting better. Um, what are you doing to get better? So what is something that you're doing to get better at listening? So, um, so I think, I think we often have the thing that we want to say or mm. the idea that we want to share, but you have to know that there will be a time you can always share that later, mm. but when somebody else is talking, let's, let's, let's go down that path first. You have to put a, like a push pin and say, okay, we're going to, I'm going to make sure I'll introduce that thing later. But if I engage with you and I listen to what you're saying, then you're going to say, oh, this person likes what I'm saying. And then when I introduce something later, hopefully they're paying attention to the thing that I said. And I, it is something that I'm working on. Um, and, and, but but improv is something that really that really helps with that. It makes you in the moment and it makes for better improv scenes because you're actually reacting in real time um, and not thinking about the next thing that you're going to say while somebody else is talking. Because in improv, things can change and the scene changes. So you have to be really present in that moment, right? That makes for good for for interviewing like like it makes for if you're doing design research and you're talking to somebody you might have your questions that you want to you know go through and you want to hit on those questions but what's really important is engaging that person and oftentimes even like writing notes you're disengaging with that person cuz now I'm not I'm not fully listening I'm writing notes um and I'm looking down and mm. that that interaction is is really important in user research, um, but but also in in team based idea generation. Yeah. All right. So, how do you use? The, well, we're out of time. So, tell me what's next <laughs> for you. So, I was going to ask you how you use this in your teaching, but you kind of have talked about it. So, what's next for you? And then I'm going to share the link, uh, your links, and I'll I'll read them out in a second. But what is next for you? Like, what's the next thing you're going to study, or what are you already studying? Um, so my original intent was to write a book on food design, um, and it ended up becoming a book on play and humor. Uh, so I might go there. Um, I, I taught a class on food design with chefs and, um, it is something that's really interesting to me. And that might be my next, um, my next book proposal. That's cool. Yeah. Do you love food? Uh, well, I was... I see. I see. <laughs> <laughs> I have fine art of food behind me. Um, I was going to, I was based for grad school. This is short, but it was like, do I go to MIT? Do I go to the Culinary Institute of America or do I go to Pratt for industrial design? Wow. Um, and it was all three very different life choices 
uh, you know, decisions. Um, so why why did you choose? Why did culinary and industrial design go? What? And if you don't want to answer that, you can just say <laughs> on to that. Next. Uh, well, my parents were like, "What are you crazy?" <laughs> um, no, my. Uh, my advisor was great who I met at MIT and he was starting this project with Hasbro. And I was like, Oh, that, that sounds wonderful. Uh, that's close. That's, that's close enough to theme parks. Um, well, that and, is a, that's a really amazing opportunity that the absolutely. others probably didn't have. So that's, that is one that you can't really uh, turn down. And it looks like you've done a lot of great things since. And, and and you know that saying about like you know if if you want to keep it playful you know don't make it your <laughs> you know so I still love cooking right and I want to make sure that I I always love cooking. Um, I think that so. that's a really neat for. Um, I just would love to see how you attack food design because it may be differently different than if you were a trained chef. Um. Because you may use, there may be some new flavors that can come out because you're not just doing heating your clothes with a fire in a metal drum. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so I'm. you can follow uh, Barry. Um, you can, his website, his web address, I don't know why I was going to say it like that, is wonderberry.com. B-A-R-R-Y, wonders, just like. W-O-N-D-E-R. It's in the chat. If you're watching on YouTube, it's the link right at the top. Um, and then on Amazon, there's an Amazon link for the Sparking Creativity Humor. Play how humor, play how play and humor fuel innovation and design. That's the link. And then there's a LinkedIn. So you can connect with him on LinkedIn. And Barry, just thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And then I have been for the rest of the month I ha or until the end of the year, until Doc Reed uh, gets enough uh, money, we're doing the saving the tatas again for uh, Julie Reed's cancer. I'm just going to save that. If you guys would even just uh, give up one coffee so that they can have some non, um, she's already had it once. They did it the way everybody said. Now they're trying a different way to beat it this time. So if you want to give to that, um, it is there and you can, there's a link. It's gofundme.com slash F, the letter F slash save the tatas again. But also the link is going to be right under Barry's and then the rest of my links will be there as well. But Barry, thank you so much. I really enjoyed reading the book. I can't wait to continue using it and marking it up and continue to highlighting it. And just thanks for being here and thanks for sharing it with us. Oh, thanks for having me on this show. It was great. Well, guys, I will see you next week. We have Matt Wood. He's going to be talking about um, branding and tattoos. Uh, it's different than you might think. And he's amazing illustrator. So I can't wait to have him on the show. And I will see you guys next week. And Barry, thanks again. Yo, bye. Bye. Bye.